we pray that as we look at your word, you would come through your spirit and that you would show us uh, Jesus. Would you make him crystal clear in this room uh, tonight? Uh, Make him real to our hearts. We also pray that through your spirit, you would take this word and um, teach us about uh, evangelism and what it looks like and what it means and teach us uh, about who you are in the gospel story and convict us and challenge us tonight. In all righteousness, lead us. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sally Lloyd-Jones, you may or may not know who that is, but she writes children's books, and she's probably most famous for her work on the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, which is a great children's Bible. But she has an eight-year-old niece, and she talks about her niece as she was growing up uh, being this vivacious, full of life, uh, full of passion, Uh, just living life to the fullest. She actually describes her as, uh, her niece, as singing her way through life. You've been around those kinds of people. And then she says it was like one day the light switch went off. And all of a sudden she becomes this distant, frightened, withdrawn girl. She said it was almost as if you were, when you would talk to her, you could barely hear her voice because she spoke so softly. She said she was literally losing her voice. Literally losing herself. And then it came out that she had been bullied at school. And in order to not be uncool, and in order to not be thought of as weird and strange... And in order to not get picked on, she just decided to lose herself and to withdraw and to not be uh, and do anything that would cause her to draw attention to herself. She was, in a sense, trying to make herself disappear. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Because it sure sounds familiar to me. I mean, I think to some degree, I know I can relate to it, and I think probably you can too. Like, we all want to be in so badly. We all want to be accepted in this place called Ole Miss so badly that we're willing to do anything and adapt in any way possible, even to the point of losing ourselves in the process. Why? What do we do about that? What do we need as we encounter those kinds of things in our life? Well, here's what we don't need. We don't need to try harder. We don't need to believe more. We don't need to be better. You know what we need? We need, all of us tonight, need to be invited into the story of the Bible. Notice, do you remember what Paul, as he was preaching the gospel, he basically just went through the whole story of the Bible in those verses. 
You and I need to be invited into the story of the gospel and to find out who we are. That's what we all need. Every single one of us. When Walker got up tonight, you hear it every week in RUF, the first words out of Lauren and Walker's mouth is what? We're here for who? Convinced and unconvinced. If you go to the website and look on our RUF Ole Miss website, we expand on that. We say convinced, unconvinced, lost, found, burned, bored, cynical, spiritual, wherever you are struggling, wherever you are in the process, we invite you into this place called RUF to come and be a part of what's happening here and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we believe... That no matter where you are, burned, bored, cynical, spiritual, lost, found, convinced, unconvinced, struggling, wherever you are, what we need, what everyone needs, is to be invited into the story of the Bible because it's in the story of the Bible that we run up against the main character of the story, the true hero who is Jesus. And it's then that we get invited into his story. And so you see why every week we do what we do in RUF. Because, you know what? Rules don't change us. Stories change us. This story changes us. And so tonight, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get really practical and we're going to talk about a topic that's called evangelism. What's evangelism? Well, evangelism is simply telling the story of the gospel and inviting people to join you in it. Evangelism is telling people the story of how God loves them and has come to rescue them through his son, Jesus. And if you look at the passage that was being read, it was preached by Paul, who was Saul, that was converted a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 9. And it's, he's preaching to a highly religious context. He's preaching to devout Jews, to God-fears, the text says. You know who he's preaching to? He's preaching here to people a lot like you and me. People who, when we hear the words and hear a passage like this or a topic like evangelism, that would be very quick to say, I've heard it all before. That's exactly why Paul says this is a genius sermon. He's writing to a people that have heard it all before, and yet he teaches them and he teaches us what the gospel is. And he also teaches us how we should go about sharing it with other people. So tonight we're going to do some evangelism training. And we're going to first look at the center of the gospel, the meaning of the gospel, And then lastly, we'll finish up with the response to the gospel. Let's look at number one, the center of the gospel. Look at verses 17 through 35. You get the idea. Again, he's summarizing really the whole story of the Bible as he preaches. And you get the idea, the whole thrust of the sermon and the whole thrust of the message is about one thing. It's all moving towards Jesus. 
It's all moving towards Christ and Him crucified. And so you see Paul drawing people in and showing them how their lives and how their history only makes sense if it ends in Jesus. That's what he's doing. How do we see that here? And why does Paul do that? Well, there's a couple reasons. And the first reason is, is because all of human history and all of the Bible finds its center in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. You know, I use a lot of illustrations about my <clears throat> girls, and that is because I've got to get them all in. <laughs> because in a few years, I won't be able to use them anymore. Because they won't let me. But Anne Wright, who is my four-year-old, you've heard me mention her birthday back at the beginning of March. And in our household, something you need to know about the Sterling girls, this is probably terrible parenting, but they have uh, very few things that they can claim as just their very own. Obviously, they're clothes, but like if we get a toy, it's pretty much everybody's toy to play with, okay? And they all have to share with one another, except on your birthday. On your birthday, you rule the roost. On your birthday, it's your day, and life is all about you. And so that means that Anne Wright, on her birthday, she got to play with all of the American Girl dolls that she wanted to, and they could be just hers. She could have the American Girl doll wagon, and nobody else could play with it. <laughs> she picked the movie that we were going to watch for our movie night. She got to pick her favorite dinner, and so life and her, the day was all about her. And somewhere near the end of the day, in the evening, Elizabeth, who's my five-year-old, just bust out with, and write this, and write that. Anne Wright's day. I am so sick of hearing about Anne Wright's day. <laughs> What's going on in that moment? Well, you know, that's exactly what we're like. We're just older and cover it up better. And she just had the guts to say it. And what is she saying there? She's saying, I want it to be about me. And this is not about me and I don't like it. And Susie leans down beside her and looks at Elizabeth and said, Elizabeth, it's not your day. It's not about you. This is about Anne Wright. This is her day. It is her birthday. It is her party. It's all about her. And that is what Paul does here. He comes to these religious people like us who want to make life all about ourselves and want to be the center of the universe. And he looks at them and he says, Guys, it's not your party. It's not your day. It's all about Jesus. It's about what he has done. He's the center of the story. He's the center of human history. And friends, that is the key to evangelizing religious people. Because most religious people have abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, for the gospel of works righteousness. For example, when we come to the Old Testament stories, do you read those stories simply to get a moral from the story? That's the way I grew up, thinking about the Old Testament stories. Be like David. 
Be like Daniel. But if that is the goal of those stories, in order to just simply give you a moral to help you live better, then your faith is simply nothing more than moralism. Do you see that? But what if, and this is what Paul is saying, what if it ultimately points you to Jesus? What if all of those stories from really Genesis 1 all the way to the book of Revelation, it's about him. What if those stories point point to Jesus? Well, if they point to Jesus, then suddenly there's healing, isn't it? It heals you because it shows you that Jesus is the one that kept the law perfectly on your behalf so that we can try and stop trying to be good enough and working our way to heaven. You see, the Bible is about Jesus. Paul is saying that life will only make sense when it finds its end and when he is the center of your life. But we also see it another way. And and another reason that Paul kind of makes this the thrust of his message here in Acts chapter 13. And it's because of this. Because whether or not you believe Christianity and whether or not you embrace it and want to take hold of it in your life all comes down to one question. What do you think about Jesus? Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's what we need to realize. No one else... No other teacher, no other religious leader in the history of the world has ever made those claims. No one has ever said the things that Jesus has said. The only way to heaven is through me. No one has ever said that through the shedding of my blood comes the forgiveness of sin. No one has ever claimed to be the Son of God. And so what's my point? My point is you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with who Jesus says he is. And you can say that Jesus is wrong, but you cannot say that Jesus is like everyone else because of the claims that he made about himself. And so what do you do with Jesus? Well, you heard me, I said this earlier this semester. C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's either a liar, and it was all a sham, and he just made it all up. Or he was completely crazy, he was a lunatic, and he needed to be admitted somewhere. Or, Jesus is who he says he was. He was the Son of God. He is Lord. And if he is Lord, then the implication to that belief is that he is the only way to heaven, and you take everything else he says about himself. So you're saying, what in the world does this have to do with evangelism? Here's what it has to do with evangelism. When we talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we talk to people about Christianity and what it is, we've got to keep Jesus at the very center of that message. It's got to be at the forefront of all of our conversations. And here's what I mean. 
Oftentimes, people come to Christianity. I don't like that about Christianity. I don't like this about Christianity. I don't like what it says about this area of my life. I object to Christianity for this reason and that reason. Let me stop. Friends, all of those things need to be heard with the utmost respect from us. Are there real questions and objections to Christianity? Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes people avoid the real issue, which is Jesus, and make Christianity about all the other things. And I say the application is we got to keep asking people. I know you have problems with this. I know you have problems with that. But here's the real question. Let's start with who do you say Jesus is? That's where we got to start. Is he who he says he is? And if he is who he says he is, then it changes everything else in your life. Even how you interact with some of your objections about Christianity. That's the first thing. The center of the gospel Secondly, the meaning of the gospel. Look at verses 26 through 37. This is kind of the meat of the gospel message. He starts talking about the resurrection and the death of Jesus. He uses phrases like suffered under Pontius Pilate. The third day he rose again from the dead. But here's what I want you to see, a remarkable thing here. Paul explains that though they were doing certain things... They were fulfilling what was said of them. Look at verse 27. They did not understand the utterances of the prophets. Okay, then look up to the comma. Fulfilled them by condemning him. Look at verse 29. You see it there. All over the place, here's what we see. That without even realizing it, The people were actually fulfilling God's purposes. They were actually fulfilling the Holy Scriptures. In other words, their actions, though their actions appeared to be free from their perspective, they were actually fulfilling what God had said they would do. How does that relate to evangelism? I think one of our goals and purposes as we talk to people about Christianity and about Jesus is to show them that their life is not an accident. Their life is not chance. That the actual events that are taking place in their life is God working out His purposes in their life and in the world around them. Our evangelism must show people that their life has gospel meaning. We must bring gospel meaning to the things that are happening in people's life. In other words, we must bring the gospel story and bring people into that story and show them how their story is actually his story. And so when we meet with people... And when I meet with people, one of our goals is that we need to help them make sense of their lives. And most of the time when people either get caught in sin or when people struggle or suffer 
or have some sort of heartache and pain come into their life, our natural tendency is to turn inward and to make it all about ourselves. And the Bible says we need to look outward and upward and say, what is God showing me? And how does this relate to the story of the Bible and to the story of the gospel and to what God is actually doing and the purposes that he's working in my life? There's a pastor in Birmingham that was great at talking to people about his faith. And one of the things he would always say to people after hearing their story and hearing things that were going on with them, he would always say, well, you know, it sounds like God's after you. Sounds like he's hunting you down. And he said almost always at the end of the conversation, the people would respond and look at him and said, you know what? I think you're right. I think God is doing something here. Friends, that is a very powerful way to share the gospel with people. And for a hundred years, American Christianity has made the goal of evangelism to get someone to a point of decision or to get someone to pray a prayer. But I want to suggest that that's woefully anemic because what it ends up doing is leaving few people changed in the process. Why do I say that? I say that because that's not what Paul did. And that's not how he shared his faith in evangelized people. And that's not, when you look throughout the Bible at how people talked about Jesus with others, that's not how they did it. You know what they did? They did exactly what Paul does here. They evangelize people by showing them that they're the chief character in another story. That they're the chief character in a story that God is writing and telling in the world. That they are being moved towards a goal. And that they are being moved towards God's purposes in their lives. In other words, you haven't evangelized someone until they have started to understand their place in the gospel story. Until they understand that it was their sin that actually put Jesus on the cross. Until they understand that if they're connected to Jesus by faith, that they will one day reign and rule with Him in all eternity. You see, you start to understand and be brought into the story of the gospel, into His story, when you stop and realize and the gospel suddenly becomes personal to you in a way that it's never become personal before. And so my question is, has that ever happened to you? Never been a time when the gospel has cut you to the heart and suddenly become real and personal. We see the center of the gospel, the meaning of the gospel, and lastly, the response of the gospel. Look at verses 38 and 41. Paul kind of puts the issue to them. He brings them to a response, and the response is either to believe or not to believe. He doesn't give them much middle ground. But here's the interesting thing is notice what is before the invitation to the gospel and the invitation. Look at verses 38 through 39. And I think it's a remarkably applicable verse 
as far as inviting people into the gospel story. Look at 38 and 39. Everyone who believes is freed from everything that you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone who believes in Jesus is freed from things that they could never be free from under the law of Moses. You see, every cultural idea, every generation has a cultural idea. Your parents' generation in my parents' generation, and our grandparents' generation, life was all about being a good person. It was all about being moral. It was all about being a person of honor and being a person of respect. It was about being a good husband and a good wife and a good son and a good daughter and a good father and a good mother. For you and I, our generation is all about one word, and that is freedom. It's all about personal freedom. We want to be able to do exactly what we want to do. It's about being self-created. It's about being original. It's about being sincere. It's about being genuine and real and authentic and independent and answering to no one. And what's interesting is if you look throughout history, all of these cultural stories have had forms of evangelism that have been very unique to that cultural story. What do I mean? Well, in our parents' generation, it was all about showing them that they could never be good enough to actually get into heaven. And in our parents' generation, something was born called evangelism explosion. That's where the whole questions came, the two diagnostic questions, which you've probably heard, I heard growing up. If you were to stand before God and He says... Why should I let you into my heaven? Well, the first one was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sure are you going to heaven? If you get past that, the next question is, what would you say if you're standing before the judgment seat of God on why he should let you in? And you see how that was jarring to our parents' generation because suddenly they realized, I can't be good enough. I need Jesus And that's certainly still and absolutely true and needs to be talked about today, but what about our generation who holds freedom as the highest cultural ideal? What do we need? Well, let me suggest that what we need as we talk about the gospel with people in our generation is to tell them that only in Jesus can you have real freedom without slavery. Only in Jesus can you have real freedom without slavery. Look at what Paul says. You're free in Christ in a way that you could never be free under the law of Moses. And so as we talk to people, one of the things we need to do is to show them how instead of being free, being more independent being self-created, being original and sincere and authentic, and having that being the driving force in your life is actually not leading to freedom at all, but actually leading to slavery. How does it do that? Well, it does that because remember, the definition of sin can be summed up in one word, and that is called idolatry. 
And as human beings, you and I are created in the image of God, which means that we are, by our very nature, worshipers. And so that means that there's not a, it's not a sense in which some people worship and other people don't. Everyone worships something. And so tonight, in this very room, all of us are worshiping something. We're either worshiping the God of beauty, the God of social inness, the God of intellectualism, the God of acceptance, the God of aloofness and simply being cool. And whatever it is that we're worshiping is actually controlling our behavior. And for some of you, you have sold your soul to so many things, all sorts of things, in order to be accepted and be in in this place called Ole Miss. And I want to ask you to listen, and myself, to listen to Paul. Paul says, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ experiences true freedom and is free from things that they could never be free from under the law of Moses. You see, when you get Jesus, friends, and when you meet Jesus, you realize that you finally got the acceptance of the only person that really matters. And that allows you to actually be friends and to have friends, not because you're desperate and you're fighting so hard to be in, but because you're actually loving and relating to people out of the excess of how Jesus has loved and related to you. You see that freedom? Jesus comes into your life and all of a sudden you are a person of substance. You're a person of conviction. You're not blown with every group that you're around, changing and putting on different masks with every different social group that you're a part of. You're a person of conviction. You're actually interested in other people for who they are and not for what you can get out of them. Do you see how relevant the gospel is? Do you see how the gospel is the really only completion to your story? Do you see how the gospel right now is appealing to us to come and be free? To come and be free in ways that we never dreamed we could be free. See, friends, Jesus is inviting every single one of us into his story. And the question is, will you come? Let's pray.